speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 48 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode we are going to finish one season and begin another. As I conclude my coverage of season three of the adventures of superman with king for a day and then i will open up my coverage of season four with the season premiere joey but before i get to all that i've got some feedback to attend to this email is from you guessed it friend of the show dave mcelvenny dave is writing in on man of screen podcast episode number 43 and dave writes greetings mike I think these were a couple of decent episodes of The Adventures of Superman this time. The Lucky Cat was a good one for the kids, I think, to give the lesson not to be too superstitious. Of course, as you pointed out, it's not really possible to eliminate all superstition, or even get everyone to agree on what is superstition, but kids especially can be even more susceptible to superstition than adults, generally speaking. The business of Mr. King lighting 300 cigarettes using 100 matches was probably meant as an extreme case of lighting three on a match, which is supposed to be bad luck. When I was a kid, an older veteran on my street explained it to me this way. During wartime, soldiers were cautioned against multiple soldiers lighting their cigarettes at the same time in the same place at night because enemy snipers would use the light to target them. He said this evolved into the superstition that lighting three cigarettes in the same match would result in the third person being killed. The belief was that when the first soldier lit a cigarette, the enemy would see the light when the second soldier lit his cigarette from the same match, the enemy would take aim at the target, and when the third soldier lit his cigarette from the match, the enemy would shoot and kill the third soldier. I don't know if that's really the origin, but it made some sense. And I did some additional research after I recorded that episode, and I basically found the same thing that Dave is telling us right here. So it does make sense that in a wartime situation, uh, three cigarettes on one match is not a good idea. But I do stand by my statement that if, if Mr. King did... Indeed, smoke 300 cigarettes in a week. Well, he might get shot down by some lung cancer. On back to Dave. In this episode, Clark once again plays it a bit loose with his secret identity, warning about the weekend floor where no normal human could have seen that. You have to wonder why he even bothered to change it to Superman when he went to the basement and put that board back into place to support the floor joist. I guess it was so that kids watching the show had the thrill of seeing Superman rather than Clark. He also plays drawing room detective when exposing the king as the cause of the trouble. I love when he tells everyone to check their pockets for the catnip. Who wouldn't check? Even if I knew I wasn't guilty, I'd check to make sure he hadn't slipped it into my pocket by mistake. Put Dave on hold for a minute, I'd check my pocket too, just to make sure that he wasn't going to try to accuse me of something I didn't do. But, you know, as I said when I covered that episode, I'm not actually sure what the purpose of the catnip was. Clark knew who the guilty man was to begin with, so he could have just scared King with the cat and his knowledge of the poison being on the claws, and his fear would have should have been enough to indict him. Back to Dave. Superman Week was a better episode, especially for kids. When I was a kid watching this, I totally fell for Superman's trap. I thought for sure that the crooks had real kryptonite. Of course, watching it with adult sensibilities, we see the hint that Clark gives that Superman is setting the trap with the lead pipe, so it's less of a surprise. We also have another great comic performance by Jack Larson with Jimmy's disguise as a telephone repairman. 
I think that may be even funnier now watching it with adult eyes. I wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas, which just goes to show how long I've been sitting on this email, and a happy and healthy 2017, and I thank you for adding so much fun podcast listening to my year. So, live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. So, I would like to thank Dave for sending in that email. It's always appreciated. And, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to encourage you guys to follow Dave's example and send some email to me or leave me an iTunes review. You know, I want to hear what you like about the show, maybe what you don't like. Any feedback would generally be appreciated, and I'll read it all on mic. So, with that being said, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with King for a Day. Hang around, folks. Stop it, listen! November 4th, 1988, Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kuns, the Tanagarians, and the Durlins, and they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover, issue by issue. Tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into King for a Day. Original broadcast date was October 15th, 1955. Writer was Dwight Babcock. Director was George Blair. Guest cast includes Philip Van Zent as Morale. Jan Arvan as Drigo, Peter Mamakos as Markle, Dictator of Burgonia, Leon Askin as Prime Minister Frederick Valence, Carolyn Scott as the Baroness Tina Damore, Stephen Bacassi as Colonel Gubek, and Chester Marshall as Prince Gregory. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Our story takes us to the country of Burgonia. Listen to the swine. Prime Minister. Hail Markle. Get out, Markle, or die. Borgonia wants no dictator. Your Excellency, perhaps it would be better if you leave until this crisis is over. A faction of the army led by Colonel Gubek has taken over the capital in your absence. Treason. I'll have Gubek before the firing squad for this. The emergency exit. We have a car waiting to take you to the border, Excellency. Meanwhile, a search is on the way for Prince Gregory, who was smuggled into the U.S. as a baby after his father was assassinated. Daily Planet editor Perry White in Metropolis has had this information handy in case Gregory would one day want to lead his people. Chief, are you sure of this? Of course I'm sure. I've been sitting on this information for years, knowing someday it would come in handy. And they smuggled Prince Gregory into this country when he was just a baby? Right after his father's assassination. And now, suddenly, he's become an international front-page figure. I'll get right on it, Chief. Just a minute, Kent. Now, this boy's just about Jimmy's age. It's possible that he might talk more freely to Jimmy than he would to you. That's a good idea. Cheapers, Chief, you mean I'm going to get to interview him myself? A real prince? Kent will go long, just in case you get everything fouled up as usual. Oh. Oh, now, Jimmy, it's your story. I'll just be outside. You can handle it. Now, here's his address. Find out all you can about his plans, especially if he's returning to his own country. Now, if you get an exclusive out of this, it might mean a trip to Burgonia. 
as a follow-up for the coronation. Yes, sir. How about that? Well, how about it? <laughs> as Clark waits outside, Jimmy is interviewing Prince Gregory, or Greg as he prefers to be called. The two young men have also become fast friends. Unfortunately, they don't see what Clark's superhuman eyes do. A bomb has been placed under the coffee table. And this is truly a job for Superman, as his invulnerable body shields Greg and Jimmy from the explosion. Here you are, Your Highness. A souvenir for you. Boy, are we lucky you got here in time. Yes, Jim. Apparently, you've been marked for assassination by someone who doesn't want you back in Bergonia. You know who I am? Yes, Your Highness, I do. And now that your identity's been discovered, I want you to allow me to provide police protection for you, because I have a feeling that that someone is going to try again. No, my plans are already made. My people are asking me to return. I, I can't let them down. But how are you going to get there? Well, that must remain my secret. It's arranged. I have friends and I'll just vanish. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you. He's gone, huh? I didn't even thank him for saving my life. Golly, Superman will understand. I wish I had a dime for every time he saved mine. He stands for everything I'd like to put into practice in my own country. All the principles of free play and democracy and freedom that I've learned about in America. I'd like you to take this royal ring and pass it on to Superman next time you see him. But golly, Superman doesn't take pay for things like that. He's, he's always helping people. But I'd like him to have it as a token of my appreciation. All right. Cheapers, the crest of the royal family of Bregonia. Do you mind if I wear it until I see Superman again? If you like. The ring of a real prince. I wonder how it'd feel to be a prince for a while. Well, good night, Your Highness. Now call me Greg. Good night, Greg. Good night. And thank you so very much for coming. Moral and Rodrigo are at the Bagonia Airdrome waiting for the arrival of Prince Gregory. They do not know what he currently looks like because they've only seen pictures of him as a boy. Having seen Jimmy with the royal family crest ring when he arrived with Clark Kent, both men are convinced that he is Gregory. Clark and Jimmy enter their hotel room. Clark phones Perry White to let him know that he and young Mr. Olsen had a safe trip. Afterward, Clark leaves to go speak with Colonel Gubek, who is running the country in the prince's absence. Drigo and Morale take this opportunity to talk to Jimmy. It's all right, Your Royal Highness. Your Royal... What did you call me? Do not be alarmed. We know you are Prince Grigori. Oh, me? Prince Grigori? I'm Jim Olsen, an American reporter, a foreign correspondent. We understand the deep secrecy. And we think it is clever of you to travel as a newspaper man. But there is no longer any need to uh, continue the pose with us. I remember you. You're the fellow that asked me what time it was at the airport. Oh, I get it. This royal ring I'm wearing. Be assured that we are loyal to your majesty and Colonel Gubek. We have been sent to take you secretly to the summer palace outside the city. You're making an awful mistake. But you'll find that out soon enough. Anyway, I guess it'll make a good story. Yes, your highness. Jimmy is taken to the Burgonian Summer Palace in secret. There he meets Prime Minister Valence and Colonel Gubek. Stand back, you violets! Bow down before your king. Gregory, at last you have come back to me. Who are you? Gregory, do you not remember your Tina, the Baroness Damour? Oh, no, Baroness, I'm not who you think I... I was to be your betrothed. It was arranged by our families when we were children together. Oh. They've held me here since the revolution. Now that you return, my darling, I will be free. We can mount the throne of Bergonia together. You like that, my brave prince? Yes, it's very kind of you, Vernus, but you see, I'm not who you think I am. I'm an imposter. Gregory, you do not have to pretend with me, your Tina. 
<clears throat> Your Highness? No, do not go, Baroness. Allow me to present myself, Your Highness. I'm Frederick Valens, your Prime Minister. I was a friend of your illustrious father and often held you on my knee when you were a child. I'm sorry, sir, but I don't remember. Of course, you could not be expected to remember. May I present Colonel Gubek, who managed the coup d'etat which caused the tyrant Markle to flee across the border? Yes, I'm very glad to meet you, sir, but you don't understand. This is a proud moment of my life, Your Highness. I welcome you back to your homeland and the people who love you. But this isn't my homeland. I... The three conspirators, Valens, Moral, and Drigo, have made an ice cream soda laced with enough poison to kill ten men. Once Prince Grigori drinks it, Marco can take back Borgonia and rule once again with an iron fist. Superman searches all over Borgonia for Jimmy. He makes his way to the Summer Palace. Entering through a top-floor window, the Man of Steel resumes his guise of Clark Kent to prevent two attempts on Jimmy's life. It's more intimate this way, no? Yes. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Who are you? My name is Clark Kent. I'm an American newspaper man. He was at the airport. He came from America with Grigori. How did you get in here? No one tried to keep me out. The palace is surrounded by guards. To get past one, one would have to fly over there. Oh, come now. Surely you don't think I can fly? Who dares to create such a disturbance? Bring the interloper before me. Right now. Am I the prince around here, or am I not the prince around here? Who is this commoner? Don't you know him, Your Highness? He says he's an American newspaper man, Clark Kent. Clark Kent. Oh, yes, I remember him. He's the poor man's Jimmy Olsen. What can I do for you, my good man? Well, you're very kind, Your Highness. As a matter of fact, I'm terribly thirsty. And that super-duper royal soda looks mighty tempting. I wonder, may I? Be my guest. It's all right. He really is a friend of mine. Thank you, Your Highness. Thank you, Your Highness. That was delicious. Jeepers, you must have been thirsty. Would you like to have another one? No, thank you. Uh, from the looks of things, Prince, you seem to have been living things up here. Prince? Oh, yes. Prince. Avant. Your Highness, you haven't introduced me to your friend. Oh, well, this is Tina, the Baroness D'Amour. May I present Clark Kent? Enchanté. Well, thank you, Baroness. I'm charmed, too. Oh, I wonder if you'd excuse us for a moment. I'd like to talk to my friend. Oh, certainly, Mr. Kent. We're to be married, you know. Oh, is that so? Congratulations, Your Highness. I see you didn't waste any time while you're posing as Prince Grigori. Oh, jeepers, Mr. Kent, what can I do? I keep telling him I'm not Grigori, but they won't listen to me. And I'm not sure I like any part of this prince business. Not even the part with the lovely Baroness? By the way, you must ask me to your wedding. Jeepers, oh, Mr. Kent, that's all her idea. She won't leave me alone. Oh, you've been suffering, huh? Well, sit down. You may have to suffer a little longer. What do you mean? Golly, was I glad to see you. How did you get here? 
I figured something like this happened because of that ring you're wearing. Now listen, Jimmy, and pay attention because I may not get another chance to talk to you. I saw Colonel Gubek, and he told me the arrival of the real Prince Grigori is expected momentarily. But Colonel Gubek was just here, and he thought I was Grigori just like the rest of them. Jimmy, he was only acting. He knows if the others think that you're the prince, the real Grigori will get a chance to slip into the capital without being observed. But continuing to play this role may prove very dangerous. Golly, I like Grigori. If I can do anything to help him, I'm willing to take my chances. Good boy, Jim. Jeepers, maybe Superman will show up and nothing will be able to happen. Well, I don't know about Superman, but I'm going to stick around. And stops Drigo's sword from stabbing Jimmy from behind the tapestry. Drigo explains that there is a rat problem in the castle. Balance has given Jimmy a cigarette of Burgundian tobacco, blended specifically for the royal family. Prince must smoke it in order to take the throne. How inside there is an explosive pellet. Once it burns, Jimmy will be killed. Clark, however, has thrown the cigarette out the window, where it blows up safely on the palace grounds. Balance, Drigo, and Morale are surprised to see the young man alive. When they meet with Markle, he is angered by their failure. I have returned because I received your message that you hold Prince Gregory, a prisoner. Have you disposed of him yet? No, Your Excellency. We have tried, but the prince seems to bear a charmed life. Nonsense! That explosion I heard as I came through the passageway. Another attempt? Yes, Your Excellency. But it failed too in a manner for which I cannot account. Always you do things in tricky, devious ways, Valen. What is so difficult about taking the prince out and shooting him? Your Highness, you are to come with us, and I warn you, it is useless to resist. No, no, no! Remove the Baroness, lock her in her room. Come. No, I won't go! Come. Let me go! You keep out of this, Mr. Kent. You will not interfere. With the Baroness locked in her room and Jimmy about to face a firing squad, Clark Kent is in the palace living room by himself. This gives him the freedom to become Superman. By order of Marco, Grand Marshal of all Burgonia, you, Prince Gregory, are adjudged guilty of high treason to the state and ordered summarily executed. But you've got the wrong man. Besides, Markel isn't Marshal of Begonia anymore. Markel is still Marshal of Begonia. Has your highness any last words for his people? Superman, where are you? If you'd only come to Begonia. And does your highness have any other last requests? Yes. If you don't mind, I'd like to die of old age. The blindfold, your highness? No. And I keep telling you, I'm not your highness. Yes, your highness. Squad, ready. You're making a mistake! Honest? Aim! Fire! Kill him! Kill him, whoever he is! Kill him! Kill him! Kill him, whoever he is! Kill him! Fire! 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 Fire!
Superman. I thought I was a goner for sure. <laughs> sorry to time this so close, Jimmy. Oh, don't be sorry. I'm tickled to death. I mean, what am I saying? I'm just glad to be alive. Here, this has caused me nothing but trouble. It was meant for you, from Prince Gregory. In token of my gratitude for your saving both of our lives, I hope you'll accept it. You're very kind, Your Highness. Now, if you'll excuse me. With Prince Gregory now in the rightful place as Sovereign of Bregonia, Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen can return home to Metropolis to give the story to Perry White for the Daily Planet. I hated to deceive you, Mr. Olsen, but we had to take advantage of the situation. You see, Marco's group had information. Prince Gregory was coming in by plane, so the mistake was natural. I traveled as an airline steward. I owe you a debt I'll never be able to repay, Jim. My deepest apologies for your life being placed in jeopardy. I'm terribly sorry. Oh, that's all right. I sort of enjoyed being a prince. Up to a point, that is. Darling! Darling! Baroness, like I've been trying to tell you, you got the wrong guy. This is Prince Gregory. I'm sorry. Welcome honey. home, darling. Jeepers, Mr. Kent, you missed everything again. But you must have known Superman was in Bergonia. That's why you weren't too worried about me. Well, I wouldn't say I wasn't worried, Jimmy, but I did have an idea that Superman was around someplace. Say, we better get your story on the wire to Perry White. Golly, yeah. Darling. <clears throat> Come, Prince. All right. This, like several episodes I've covered throughout the course of this season, was based on a story from Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, this time issue number four in March 1955. And I managed to get a hold of some digital Jimmy Olsen comics, and I took a look at issue number four just before getting on to record. The story looked pretty faithful to what was uh, presented in The Adventures of Superman. All the attempts on his life went down as they did in the comic, including the climax. The comic showed the attempt on his life in Metropolis. The names were different, but it was the same story, and like I said, it was, this was a little fleshed out, obviously, because I'm sure that story as it appeared in the comic wouldn't take the full 25 minutes, but this was a faithful adaptation of that story. So interestingly enough, this episode starts with a shot of Jimmy dressed as a king with a crown and everything, which you do see in the comic story, but you never really see that in the episode, so it's kind of strange seeing that right there. I don't know if the three men we see in the opening scene are looking at it like a mirage or what but at first i thought jimmy was there in the room with them but it turns out that was just kind of a shot for the title card i guess almost like how the silver and bronze age comics had that splash page on the opening page of the story which would have a little blurb and show something's gonna happen later on in the story i guess that's kind of the same thing here except in live action after this the three men are in the office and uh it's being shot at windows are being broken and uh Prime Minister Valens kind of comes in and ushers the men away, one of which is Marco. It's unclear at the moment who the villains are in this situation because we don't know anything about who Marco is, at least not yet. All we know is that Colonel Gubek has taken over the capital and is leading a coup. So we learn some more when we get back to the Daily Planet building, and apparently Prince Gregory has been smuggled into the United States as a baby after his father was assassinated by Marco who went on to be basically become uh, the dictator of Borgonia. So we learn right away that Markle is the interloper, so to speak, and Grigori is the rightful heir to the throne of Borgonia. So pretty much know where this episode is going right away. What's going to happen is that Grigori is going to return to Borgonia to take up the throne. And now that Colonel Gubek has gotten rid of Markle, at least for now. 
So they give this important assignment to Jimmy because he's roughly the same age as Prince Kigori, and they feel that'll make the prince open up a little bit, which I guess, but still, it's a very high-profile interview. I would be hesitant as an editor to give such an important assignment to Jimmy, but whatever, it works for the story. And basically, Clark is going to hang out outside and basically provide moral support for Jimmy. So the bomb goes off under the coffee table while... uh, Jimmy is talking to Grigori, and Clark sees it from down below. Superman comes in and makes quick work of the bomb. He basically takes it into a corner, and in an interesting effect, it just kind of explodes right in front of him. I'm not sure how they accomplish that, but something probably just kind of pops right in front of him, and he stands there to shield them from the effect, I guess. So Superman knows who Prince Grigori is, and the prince is shocked that Superman knows who he is because he's kept his identity a secret. Superman obviously wants Grigori to get some police protection, but he he's steadfast. This young prince is dedicated to his people. Now that Colonel Gubek has deposed the dictator, now he has a country to go back to. But he doesn't want the police protection because I guess he feels that it's going to upset whatever plans he has to return to Burgonia. He states that his plan is to kind of just disappear in the middle of the night and then just show up in Burgonia. After Superman is gone, Grigori discusses that he wants to bring the ideas of freedom and democracy that he learned in America to Burgonia. Well, it's a nice dream. We'll see by the end of the episode that he'll at least get the opportunity to implement it. And of course, Grigori wants to give Superman a token of his appreciation, but Superman is already gone, so Grigori gives to Jimmy the ring that basically signifies that Grigori is heir to the throne to Jimmy. A -a one-of-a-kind ring, and he's just going to give it to this kid reporter to hold until he runs into Superman again. And I'm sure this is going to in no way cause Jimmy any trouble later. You've hopefully watched the episode or listened to me synopsize it so you know that this one little gesture of goodwill is going to cause Jimmy a lot of problems throughout the course of this episode. Now, I like this scene between Clark and Jimmy as Jimmy runs down all the things that happened up there while Clark was waiting outside. Wow! Well, stop gasping and tell me what happened. Did you get your story? Did I? What will you hear? You missed everything, Mr. Kent. Superman was there. He was? Well, why wasn't I there, too? I thought I heard a disturbance. An attempted assassination. You don't say. I do say. Greg's going to disappear and return secretly to Begonia. Greg? Well, tell me, when does Greg plan on arriving in Begonia? In about a week. He wouldn't be more definite than that. Hmm. Well, we'll go back to the planet, and uh, if this story is half as good as you seem to think it is, we'll do a follow-up and cover the coronation in Begonia. Begonia? Wow! You know, obviously we're all in on the joke, but Jimmy has no idea that Clark was in the room with him. And, you know, Jimmy's excited about this assignment. This is like one of the first times in this show that you actually see Jimmy excited about something. Usually, Jimmy is getting yelled at or is the butt of the joke or occupying the basically bottom rung of the food chain so Perry White can eat him alive. But, no, if things all go well, uh, Jimmy's going to go to Bergonia and he's awfully excited about it. And with the dawn of the next scene, they're in Bergonia. Jimmy is still wearing the... Prince Ring, and he's wearing a different suit right now, and not his usual tweed jacket and blue vest and bow tie. He's wearing what looks more like the Silver Age Clark uniform, a dark blue suit and a white shirt and a reddish tie. Now, the guards at the airport here don't know what the prince looks like, but they see the royal ring on Jimmy's hand. And what do you know? They want to kill him immediately. So the, the two guys, the two guards here in the military clothing, they think Jimmy is the prince because he's wearing the ring, and, you know, Jimmy tells them that he's not the prince, and they don't believe him just because 
when he says he works for the paper, they just think he's under deep cover. So they're going along with what Jimmy's telling them as if it's not true, as if he's actually Prince Gregory. So, and this is just going to start a chain of events that's going to run throughout the course of this episode as Jimmy continues to try to convince people that he's not actually Prince Gregory. None of them will believe him. And he just, we're just going to go from one attempt on Jimmy's life to the other while the real prince attempts to sneak into the country. So after they find Jimmy in the hotel, he's unable to convince them that he's not the prince, and he's taken somewhere else, basically to the Summer Palace. And eventually, Clark can't find Jimmy at the hotel, but he calls the front desk, who knows that he left the hotel, but not much else. It's, you know, it's nice to know that the hotel reception desk knows what Jimmy looks like. You know, when I go on vacation, I'm pretty sure that when I leave the building, one, I probably leave through a back door, so the front desk doesn't know that I've left. I guess hotels weren't built that way in the 50s. Hotels now have so many doors that you can just go right out into the parking lot by your car you know, without having to pass the front desk. And there's far too many, too much going on for the attendants to know who's there and who's not. Jimmy, meanwhile, is in the living room of the Summer Palace and he finds a pair of cross swords up on the wall. He takes one down and he's swinging around this sword, speaking like he's from the Old West. And then he decides to change up the program, go a little medieval and pretend to be a king. And then a woman comes out. And this is the our first look at the Baroness Tina Demore. Apparently, their marriage has been arranged when they were very young, but she's been waiting for him all her life. And she's putting the moves on him right away. And, you know, Jimmy is frightened. He does not know how to handle women in the slightest, especially women that are not meant for him. So, you know, again, he's trying to convince her, like he did the guards, that he's not Prince Gregory. But I don't think Jimmy tries as hard to convince Tina as he did the guards in, the, in his own hotel room. There's a part of Jimmy that's enjoying this part of being the prince. I'm not sure he's going to enjoy a lot of what happens next, but he is definitely enjoying the affections of the lovely Baroness Tina Demore. So here comes Prime Minister Valens. Again, another person not listening to Jimmy, who's saying he's not the prince. They just kind of say, yes, your highness. Very annoying. So in comes Colonel Gubek with Valens, who doesn't know who Clark Kent is, even though Clark said he was going to see the colonel, which is one of the first signs to Jimmy that something is wrong. So, as we know that the Prime Minister is in league with these guys to kill the Prince so Markle can return. And then somebody comes in with an ice cream soda for Jimmy. And believe Markle, it's Markle who brought it in. There's enough poison in this thing to kill ten men. And Jimmy is about to take the ice cream soda. And at first I wondered if the Baroness Tina Damore was in on this. But it is clear she's not because she's going to drink some of the soda with the Prince. Or with, with Jimmy, rather. He is not actually the Prince. We get a quick cut to see Superman descending. You know, in that 45-degree angle to the left, facing downward. And that is pretty much what Clark shows up, and he scares the hell out of the, the three men. And this is an entertaining exchange, as Valens suggests Clark to have flown, because that's the only way he could have gotten in there. Clark just treats that as if it was ridiculous. I mean, who, me? Fly? Are you kidding me? Now, Jimmy knows Clark is there, and Clark is acting a little amused by Jimmy's princely act here. And Clark is playing along, and... The, he talks to Jimmy about how thirsty he is, and he makes a play for the ice cream soda, takes it, and drinks it down. And I love the look on the guy's faces in the back. They don't understand how the poison didn't kill him. They can only assume that somebody screwed up. So that's attempt one. Attempt one of three before they finally decide to take him out to the firing squad. Jimmy shoos them away, and I love this exchange between Clark and Jimmy, who complains about how much he is suffering due to having to put up with the affections of the Baroness, you know. Even Jimmy admits that he enjoys that, and there's some very nice interplay here between Jack Larson and George Reeves in this episode. Now Clark lays on the plan that Jimmy will have to pose as the prince while the real prince sneaks into the country, and you know Jimmy is showing his heroism here by 
being willing to help Grigori any way he can because he likes him. You know, I like a few people in my life. I'm not sure I'd go through all of this for any of them, but I guess Jimmy Olsen's a better man than I am. I'm not sure I'd put myself in harm's way for all this. What's the deal with this monocle? Does Jimmy really need this thing? But all it does is fall off his eye. So, just a fun note about Jimmy's eyewear. So here comes the Prime Minister again, and he ushers Jimmy over to a corner by a tapestry, and with his x-ray vision, Clark sees a guard on the other side, poking at the tapestry with a sword, and he just kind of covers the area with his hand, and eventually <laughs> it just causes the entire tapestry to fall, and for Drigo, I believe it is, to fall into the room with his... Nothing to show for his attempt on Jimmy's life except for a bent sword. And Drigo makes the excuse of having been chasing a rat. And it's just hysterical because you look at the sword and it's clear that this rat must have gotten the better of Drigo. So now Valens is going to try attempt number three and he wants Jimmy to smoke the royal cigarette. But Jimmy doesn't want to. You know, at first I thought this was another attempt to poison him. But in typical Jack Larson fashion, he'll cough and all the smoke will come out, so... Clark, meanwhile, just sitting there, and then he listens at the door, hears about an explosive in the cigarette, takes it out of Jimmy's mouth, you know, telling him it will stunt his growth, and he tosses the cigarette out the window to an explosion down below. I love when Superman has to do super feats on the sly as Clark. It just adds another dimension to his character, and you don't often see Superman having to be sneaky. I just love it. Now, Valen's people hear the explosion to go into the room, and, you know, the first thing I'm wondering is, didn't they realize that the explosion clearly didn't come from the next room, as it was several stories down on the ground? So, they come in, expect to see some charred corpses, and instead they just end up doing some awkward bowing and leave after being shocked seeing them alive. I'm not exactly sure Jimmy or the Baroness knew quite what to make out of that. Here's Markle in his office, who is growing frustrated with Valen's attempt at trickery, and he decides he just needs to shoot Jimmy. Or the prince. He doesn't actually know that it's Jimmy. They all think it's the prince. So now they're taking the direct approach, and Jimmy won't go, but he goes at knife point, and Clark is locked in the living room, but, you know, that won't stop him from changing into Superman. Here's Jimmy in front of a firing squad. He tries one more time to tell him that he's not Grigori, and, uh, I like Jimmy's choice of last words, being Superman, where are you? Well, here he is. If you look up a couple of stories, he's leaving the room that Clark was locked in. So Jimmy has one more request, which is to die of old age, and I don't think that's going to go anywhere with this crowd, but... I do love Jimmy's desperate scream that they're making a mistake. You know, Jack Larson sells Jimmy's fear very well here. All right, now it goes into the long shot of the courtyard. Pay attention to this wall as they're about to shoot Jimmy. And Superman is flying down from however many stories he's up. This wall is only maybe 8 to 10 feet high. Why couldn't he land right in front of Jimmy? I mean, I understand busting through the bricks is far more dramatic, but he has to land and then bust through the wall. He's damn lucky someone didn't fire early and plug Jimmy while Superman was doing his dramatics. And look at how close Markle was to the hole in the wall. He's lucky he didn't get hit with a brick. So word of Superman hasn't quite reached Borgonia, as Markle doesn't know who he is. So after shielding the bullets, I love the smirk Superman gives when Markle orders the gunman to kill him. And then we get a nice little fight, and Superman takes care of business with some jabs, and Prince Grigori shows up finally and arrests Markle and finally gets that ring to Superman, who accepts it gracefully. The Baron has changed her affections awfully quick here, don't you think? And, you know, Jimmy is a little down by her shifting affection. Well, all right, Jim, we get used to it. They do that sometimes. And I love how Clark drags him out as the episode ends, saying, come on, Prince. You know, again, very playful and somewhat sympathetic. You know, overall, not a bad episode. I had described, I believe I coined the phrase, Jimmy Olsen comic come to life during my coverage with Bob Fisher of Semi-Private Eye back during season two, and... 
that was from before the Jimmy Olsen comics. Now, just in this season alone, this is like the third adaptation of, of a Jimmy Olsen comic. They're definitely mining the Jimmy Olsen comic that this series' popularity kind of spawned. So it's nice to see that kind of synergy between the comics and the TV show. That pretty much wraps up my coverage of that episode and the end of season three. So I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to open up my coverage of season four of The Adventures of Superman with Joey. Hang around, folks. As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Two, two, all right welcome back folks we're gonna head right into joey original broadcast date was february 18th 1956 writer was david chandler director was harry gerstead janine perot as alice tom london as peter thomas billy nelson as sully maurice hugo as luke palmer jay lawrence as the second henchman and bill kennedy as the racetrack announcer now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. To save his farm from debt, Peter Thomas, an old school chum of Daily Planet editor Perry White, must sell a young thoroughbred horse named Joey. Is it nearly time, Grandpa? No, we've still got ten minutes, sweetheart. And that can be a long time. Not to say goodbye to Joey. Well, you know, I don't want to sell Joey any more than you do, Alice. But we just have to, honey. We have other horses back at the farm. Why does it have to be Joey, Grandpa? Joey is a thoroughbred. His father was a great racehorse, and Joey's going to be a great racehorse, too. That's what makes him so valuable. I don't care if he's valuable. I love him. You love the old farm, too, don't you? It's the best farm in the whole world. I wish you were back there right now, and everything was like it used to be before those men from the bank came. It's not their fault our crops dried up, honey. Now I have to give them a lot of money. Or they have to take the farm. But how can I explain it to Joey? He'll think we don't love him anymore. I think Joey understands. Don't you, boy? That's all right, Joey. You're a big horse now. And big horses aren't supposed to cry. At least not too much. Unless, unless... I'm going to have to take Joey away pretty soon, honey. And you don't want him to remember you with those big tears in your eyes? Goodbye, Joey. I wasn't prepared for anything like this at a horse auction, Chief. You women are too sentimental. Come on, I'll introduce you. <clears throat> Perry. <laughs> Perry White, you old reprobate. So you did get my letter. That's why we're here, Pete. Lois, this is Pete Thomas. We went to school together 40 years ago. Pete, this is Miss Lane. How are you? Perry always was popular with the pretty girls, Miss Lane. Oh, excuse me. This is my granddaughter, Alice. <laughs> Alice? This is Mr. White. Hello. And Miss Lane. Hello, Alice. 
How do you do? Joey's father, War King, was in many races, and Joey himself has the potential to fill his dad's horseshoes. Chief, you didn't. I did. The Daily Planet has purchased a racehorse. And who was it said women are too sentimental? Grandpa, do they own Joey now? That's right, sweetheart. Now they're gonna race him. And all the money that Joey wins goes to a children's charity to help little boys and girls just like you. Now, isn't that wonderful? I, I guess so. Joey likes children. Well, Pete, I think I have to be going. Yeah, I'll walk out with you. And I'll stop by your office later on to make the arrangements. Fine, fine, Pete. Well, goodbye, Alice. I'll see you later, Lois. Right. Goodbye. I'll, I'll think of you every day, Joey. Don't worry, Alice. We'll take good care of him. I'll write you letters all about him, and sometimes maybe you can pay him a visit. All right? I know you'll take good care of him, but he's going to miss me so much. I'm sure he will, Alice. Perry Lois and cup reporter Jimmy Olsen believe the horse has a chance of winning. Clark Kent, however, thinks that something might happen to keep Joey from being victorious. Now, Chief, let me get this straight. Do you mean to tell me that the Daily Planet actually bought itself a racehorse? What's wrong with that, Mr. Kent? Sure, we wouldn't want to be known as the only newspaper without a horse. Olson? Yes, sir. Oh, what I meant was that... No, that would only get me into more trouble. Let's face it, Clark. The Chief's heart of ice just melted all over the place. Nothing of the sort. It would be a great promotional stunt for the planet. And think of all the money we'd be donating to charity. Yes, provided someone's taught that horse to run. You know, just because a horse has four legs doesn't make him a winner, Chief. Mr. Kent, I have engaged one of the best trainers in the country. And he assures me that Joey can win the Jupiter Stake race. I hope you remember to tell Joey. Oh, Clark, now you're just being nasty. No, Lois, just practical. After all, horse racing can be a good, clean sport, but it's liable to be a rotten apple in any barrel. If you think there might be some dirty work afoot, why don't you ask Superman to keep an eye on things? For your information, Jim, Superman manages to keep pretty busy. And he also only happens to have two eyes. Yeah, but what eyes? Sometimes I wonder why Superman picked you for a friend. He's not afraid of anything. You're afraid of everything. Well, Lois, perhaps that's the reason. The only thing that's going to happen in this race is that Joey is going to win it, period. Now, if you don't mind, we have a 50-page edition of a metropolitan newspaper to get out. Yes, sir. Come on, Jim. Luke Palmer has put a lot of money on Rover Girl to win the Jupiter Stakes. His key twirling henchman, Sully, has warned him that Joey could beat Rover Girl. Luke, we got trouble. You better cancel them bets. What for? To keep out of the poorhouse. What's the matter? Rover Girl didn't bust a leg, did she? Worse. Two legs? Luke, the competition has suddenly got serious. Who's worried about competition? Don't forget, we got an added little gimmick working between Rover Girl and us. Oh, yeah? Take a look. Put that thing away, will you? These notes are on a horse named Joey. He was entered an hour ago in the Jupiter. Works a half mile in less than 47. Right. I personally had a telescope and a stopwatch on this animal. And look at the ancestry. By War King out of Sally B. Boy. This Joey really comes from the right side of the tracks, don't he? Sure. Some guy by the name of Thomas just sold him to the Daily Planet. The Planet? What do they want with horses? They just got one, Joey, and that's all they need. And you think maybe this Joey might beat us in spite of the circumstances? He's got a good chance in spite of the circumstances. And I got a fortune bet on Rover Girl. And I never gamble. 
That is, I don't gamble if there's any gamble involved. So what do we do? So what do we do? You and me are gonna pay Joey a visit tonight, and tomorrow he ain't gonna feel so much like running. That's crazy, Luke. We could get into deep trouble. Forget it. We gotta take care of this, Joey. There ain't no other way. Hey, Luke, you think they'll let me keep this in the penitentiary? Oh, come on. As Sully and Luke arrive at the stables, they notice Perry, Lois, Clark, and Jimmy around an ailing Joey. We got company. You know, this could ruin my reputation, getting caught sneaking up on a horse. Shut up and listen. Well, if there's nothing wrong with him, like the vet said, why doesn't he get up? Please, Joey. It could mean so much to a lot of little children. Maybe he's just tired. No, Jimmy, he'd be sleeping on his feet. No, I'm afraid only Joey knows the answer. Well, whatever it is, there goes the Jupiter Stake race. And that makes Rover Girl a lead pipe cinch. And we don't have to do nothing about Joey. Looks like he did it all by himself. Come on, let's blow. Shh. Well, all I can say, Joey, is that little Alice would be mighty disappointed in you right now. Oh, Chief, you can't blame the horse. Wait a minute. I think I've got it. Chief, did you notice anything when you said her name? Name? What name? When? Stand back. I want to try something. Oh, Miss Lane, it won't work. You can't hypnotize a horse. I know, Jim. Just be quiet a minute. Listen to me, Joey. Do you miss Alice? Alice, Joey, is that who you want? Alice? That's it. He's homesick for Alice. Well, it does make sense, Chief. Lots of horses have mascots, particularly racehorses. Usually they're animals like a dog or a chicken, but they can be people. In this case, it is a person. I've watched them together. Why, it's almost like they could talk to each other. Jeepers, a talking horse. Now what do we do? Depends on what they do. Well, what are we going to do about it? Uh, Chief, why don't you let me go and... I've got it, Chief. There's just enough time for Jim and me to drive up to the farm. Yeah, and bring Alice back. Uh, that's just what I was about to suggest, Chief. Only, you see, I can do it without... Uh... Without what, Mr. Kent? Well, I was just trying to say... That... I can drive just as well as you can, Mr. Kent. And besides, someone must stay with Joey. Someone who really understands horses. How they need a mascot, how they sleep standing up and so forth. <sighs> okay, Chief, you win. All right, Lois, that gives you about 12 hours before the race starts. It's an hour to spare. We'll make it. Come on, Jim. No chance to use this. Not with them hanging around all night. We don't have to. You know where this farm is, don't you? Sure. Greengrass County. Okay. By using my private plane, you can beat them there easy. Let's go. Lois and Jimmy have nearly reached their destination. Unfortunately, the only thing they find is Sully pointing a rifle at... Can I help you, miss? We're looking for the Thomas farm. Is this the right road? It sure is, lady. It's about four furlongs. I mean, it's a, it's a half mile up. Thank you very much. But you can't drive to it. The bridge is out. Oh, dear. Well, I guess we'll have to leave the car here and walk. Come on, Jim. You can't walk it either. This is private property. Yeah, but we're friends of the owner, Mr. Thomas. He don't own it anymore. Sold out yesterday. But that's impossible. He sold his prize horse to keep the farm. I can't help it, lady. The new owner is one of them eccentric guys. Don't want nobody on his property. Well, we'll see about that. At least we can find out where the Thomases went. I don't advise it, lady. From this point on, things get awful dangerous around here. Why? Buddy, are you threatening us? 
I wouldn't say that. Well, I would. Come on, Miss Lynn, let's get out of here. Guess there's nothing else we can do. I just don't understand it. That's life, just full of little mysteries. Each day, a new adventure. Every hour, a twist of fate. The Cracker Barrel philosophy and the gun just don't go together. Speaking about going, where do we go? Home, I guess, Jim. Too late now, even if we knew where Alice was. Jimmy and Lois feel foolish. But what I don't understand is why the new owner should post an armed guard. Clark, if we knew the answers, we wouldn't be here without Alice. And if we'd asked many more questions, we wouldn't be here at all. Well, Pete knew I bought Jory to help him save the farm. Now I feel that he cheated me. I wouldn't say that exactly, boss. I think that maybe we're looking at this whole thing backwards. What do you mean? I think it's only fair to consider the possibility that Pete didn't sell the farm at all. If he didn't, then how come there's a new owner? Maybe there isn't. Which is what I'm going to find out. Oh, operator, will you get me Peter Thomas at RFD 30, Pine Road, Greengrass County, right? Yes, thank you, I'll wait. Well, what good will it do anyway, Clark? That's right, we couldn't get Alice here in time no matter what. Oh, I wouldn't be too sure of that, Jimmy. Oh, hello, Mr. Thomas? Why, sure, this is me, Mr. Kent. Oh, then you uh, still live on the farm? Well, tarnation, where else do you think I'd be living? Hey, wait a minute. Is this one of Perry's jokes? You know, he was always a great one for that. Uh, no, Mr. Thomas, I can assure you it's no joke. Is Alice there? Uh, yes, she's here, but she's not feeling too well. Well, I'll have to explain all this to you a little later. Meanwhile, I don't want you to leave the house or let anyone in. Is that clear? All right. Goodbye. Right now, I feel awfully foolish. I don't know why you should, Lois. After all, you shouldn't be expected to cope with a man with a rifle. Kent, I have a hunch you're thinking about Superman right now. Can you get hold of him? Yes, Chief, I think I know exactly where he is. Chipper's where? Well, I can tell you where I hope you'll be in the next few minutes, and that's at the stables. Now, if you'll excuse me. If he knew where to contact Superman, why didn't we follow him? Yeah, I'd like to know how he does that. Could he have got an elevator that fast? Maybe the storeroom. He's not in there. Sully is sleeping under a tree when Superman arrives. I uh, beg your pardon. Is this the way to the Thomas farm? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, is it all right if I go right on through? Who cares where you go? Beat it, I'm sleeping. Well, I just thought with the gun and everything... Uh... Look, buddy, I don't care who goes in there now. I'm just waiting for some friends to pick me up. Oh, I see. Well, thank you. Hey, thank you very much. Hey, what's the big idea? Oh! With Sully unconscious, Superman bends the rifle barrel and heads for the Thomas' farm. The caped hero has flown Alice through the stables to see Joey. It's barely time to get him up and saddled. Maybe Mr. Kent couldn't contact Superman after all. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Jimmy. Joey. Joey, I'm here. Are you all right, Joey? He knows me. He knows I'm here. Please get up, Joey. I'll never leave you again. Never. That's the way. You can do it. You can do it. He's better. He's all right now. Good boy, Joey. We knew you could do it. Now get out there and win that race. 
Where's Superman? We didn't even get a chance to thank him. So far, it's been a close race between Joey and Rover Girl. Unfortunately, Rover Girl wins. However... But I'll feel a lot better when they make it official. Relax. Send the bag. If you'll examine that saddle, you'll find it's wired to give electric shocks to the horse. It's operated by remote control from the stands. Oh, incidentally, this jockey and the owners are in the clear. If that's true, it's a very serious matter. What's Superman doing down there? Your attention, ladies and gentlemen, a foul has been declared. Superman is ruined. Let's get out of here. Rover Girl has been disqualified. The new winner, Joey. <laughs> Superman has prevented Luke and his second henchman from escaping. They, like Sully, put a long time in prison for fixing the Jupiter stakes. I uh, heard about the disqualification, so I came right over. And missed the excitement by about ten minutes, as usual. Well, you're just in time to hear what I have to say. Joey won what I paid for him. Plus enough to make a nice donation to the children's charity. Well, that's great, Chief. So I think he should go right back to his rightful owner. Alice, he's all yours. Joey, did you hear what Mr. White said? We're going to be together again, forever and ever, just like I promised. All right. This was not an episode I was looking forward to covering because I don't recall this being a very good episode. And it's not. Definitely not the strongest way to start a season after being away on hiatus or in reruns for the past couple of months, but this is what the producers of The Adventures of Superman decided to start season four with, and, well, that's just what we're going to have to go with, isn't it? So, this story opens with a girl. She could be a pre-teenager. She could be younger. I'm not exactly sure how old Alice is supposed to be. She looks like here she's at least 10, maybe 12, even 13 or 14 years old. Well, anyway, what we can tell from right away is that she has grown attached to this horse, Joey. But they need to sell him because they had a bad season with the crops and that's put them behind with the bank. And so her grandfather, Pete Thomas, has two choices. He can either sell Joey because he has a thoroughbred pedigree. Or he can go into foreclosure and lose his farm, you know. When you put those two options on the table, the really the only thing he can do is sell the horse. You can't expect a girl Alice's age really to understand the ins and outs of keeping your property, but well, she really knows that she loves the horse and wants to keep it. But our grandfather, I wonder where her parents are, by the way, is between a rock and a hard place. So, apparently Pete and Perry have some history together as... Apparently, they went to school together. Lois is trying to make Alice feel better in all the wrong ways. She's going to bring her shopping. But I don't think a new lace dress is going to do much to raise Alice's spirit. I'm not sure a couple nice dresses will fill the hole in Alice's heart that Joey's departure is going to leave. So they briefly talk away from the women that we are not privy to as the viewer. And when they come back, we find that Perry has decided to buy Joey from Pete to run Joey in a race and raise the money for charity. Before they went into the barn, Perry chastised Lois for 
and called women too sentimental. But I like that when after Perry buys the horse, Lois chastises him for the sentimental women comment because she believed that he clearly bought the horse out of sentimentality. And he also showed further sentimentality by when they came came up to the barn and they kind of saw Alice was having a hard time letting go of Joey, that he had her stay out of sight to give her a couple more minutes with the horse before he got sold. We're getting to see some sentimental Perry here. My first question is, where are they going to take this horse? I mean, they have to take it somewhere, and I'm not sure where exactly they find it has a horse farm, but you would think it would make a little more sense to leave the horse in the care of Alice or her grandfather, but what I didn't realize at the beginning of this episode was apparently how far this farm is from Metropolis. We'll find out later in the episode that Lois and Jimmy barely had enough time, 12 hours, to go there and get Alice, so... Apparently this farm is quite a distance away. Alice is doing a lot of projecting of her own feelings on Joey, and maybe he'll miss her. I mean, she really has no way to know. It's clear that she's going to miss him. Lois is going to write letters about the horse to Alice. I mean, how exactly will Lois know what's going on with the horse? Is the horse going to be in her office? And what's she going to write? Today, the horse walked left. Yesterday, it ate some hay. What exactly does she have to say about horses? I've noticed as I'm watching this opening scene that Pete, her grandfather, smiles a little much for somebody who's about to go bankrupt. And Alice's emotion just kind of came off kind of flat to me for some reason, you know. Child actors aren't always the best at their craft, and I'm sure there was no time to get a suitable performance out of the actress who played Alice. So, as I watched this scene, I felt like I've seen the grandfather before. And then I realized he was the old man at the mine, and at the end of, I want to say, chapter 2 of the first Superman serial with Kirk Allen. He was the one who showed Lois the other way into the mine, the back way, before she gets sealed in by the cave-in. And he later, at the end of that chapter, shows Clark the where Lois went into the mine, and he becomes Superman, facilitating the first meeting between that Superman and Lois, who also played by Noah Neal. In the next scene, I love this questioning by Clark, and I love Jimmy's comment about not wanting to be the only paper without a horse. As if that's a thing. What newspapers have horses? Well, I mean, some have baseball teams, so I guess having a thoroughbred racehorse is not outside of the realm of possibility. But in 1955-56, that probably wasn't a thing. So Lois decided to tell everyone that it was Perry's heart of ice that melted, and he quickly put the kibosh on that idea. Perry wants no part of anybody thinking he has a heart. Instead, it is a promotional stunt to enter Joey, a horse with no running experience, into the Jupiter Stakes. And, of course, they expect him to win. You're not going to enter a horse into a into a race and not expect him to win. But Clark is acting very negative here, pointing out that the horse doesn't know how to run. But Perry's got the one of the best trainers in the country, and he, he believes that Joey can win the race. So, because this best trainer in the country has said so, a trainer that we never see, mind you, we're going to see a scene later where Joey is homesick and there's not a trainer in sight. Just reporters kind of sitting there trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Clark also continues to point out, almost prophetically, that there is some dirty business that goes on in horse racing. And despite Jimmy's suggestion to have Superman check it out, Clark just says Superman's busy. And this instigates a famous line from Lois as she wonders why Superman picked Clark for a friend. Clark's afraid of everything and Superman isn't afraid of anything. And I like Clark's answer that maybe that's the reason. Because there's so much of an opposite. I guess there's some symmetry there between Clark's fear of everything and Superman's fear of nothing. The next scene, we'll, we will show Luke Campbell. He is 
placing some bets on the Jupiter Stakes, which are tomorrow. I'm not necessarily sure how much time has passed between the scene and Perry's office and the scene here with Luke at his desk, but I'm guessing maybe a day, maybe two. But anyway, the stakes are tomorrow, the next day. I mean, the best trainer in the country is not going to get that horse running in one day. Here comes Billy Nelson, a series veteran at this point, playing a whole bunch of heavies over the course of the first several seasons of this show. We first saw him early in season two. I believe his debut episode was another animal-themed episode and a perennial favorite, The Dog Who Knew Superman. He's looking very impatient, and he's swinging his keys around, and he's telling Luke to cancel his bets on Rover Girl, because apparently the entrance of a completely inexperienced racehorse that had one good practice is enough to throw their entire plans into disarray. And he mentions that they have a special arrangement with Rover Girl. We don't know what that arrangement is yet, but we're going to find out later on. So here's something interesting about that we learned about Luke Campbell here. He doesn't gamble unless there's no gambling involved, which means he only bets on sure things. And if the bet is not a sure thing, he's going to make it a sure thing. Now we get an, a scene of the Daily Planet staff at the stables. They're looking at Joey, who is healthy, but lying on the ground. Apparently he's depressed. Jimmy suggests that he's tired, but Clark uses this as a teaching moment and tells us that horses will sleep standing up. And apparently, the sheer mention of Alice's name is enough to kind of get a snort out of Joey. It's kind of the only thing that he will react to. So Lois figures it out, so she is tasked with going to get Alice. Clark would prefer to go because he can go and get her faster, but Lois and Jimmy are going to get that job. And Lois makes this interesting comment about how apparently there's so much chemistry between Joey and Alice that it's almost like they can talk to each other. And this is, prompts Jimmy to make a crack about a talking horse, which was funny to me at first because I'm aware of the TV show Mr. Ed. However, that hit the airwaves in 1961, at least five years after this episode was filmed. So, show's not taking a shot at that. But, however, Mr. Ed did appear in the Talking Horse children's books as early as 1937. I believe the first one was printed in 37 and the last one in 1945, if my research is correct. So, maybe Jimmy is referencing that and not the future Mr. Ed series. But, in hindsight... It works with a crack on the TV series just as well. So like I mentioned, Clark's expertise on the horses gets him elected to stay with Joey as Lois and Jimmy take off in her car. And I find it interesting that Lois doesn't seem to know where she's going here. We saw her in the beginning of the episode. She was at the farm with Perry. I'm not sure who drove, but you would think she would have some idea of where she was going or if she doesn't give any indication during this scene that that stuff doesn't look familiar. So you would think she'd have some semblance of a clue as to where she was going. So they stop when they see... Sully hanging around the side of the road. They obviously have no idea who he is because they've never seen him before. And they ask him for directions. And that's when Sully tells her that Mr. Thomas sold out the farm. If you remember, uh, Luke told Sully to take a, his private plane up there so he'd get there ahead of them, which he does. And, uh, you know, Sully says that the new owners don't want any visitors. And he pulls out a rifle and they take that as a threat. Apparently, this was part of their plan to turn Lois and Jimmy around without Alice. As... I really never bought that Pete sold the farm. Besides, anybody who has been involved in any kind of property sale or knows someone who has, knows that it takes months to sell property. You don't just sell it in a day unless somebody comes up with a suitcase full of cash, which, to the best of my knowledge, isn't entirely legal. Back at the office, Perry feels cheated by his old friend selling the farm, which, again, happened way too quickly. But Clark suggests that the farm wasn't sold, and he... 
has the operator put him through. Apparently he knows the address and he gets through to Mr. Thomas. And a call to the farm confirms that it wasn't sold. Now Clark is going to get his chance to change into Superman and do perhaps what he should have done in the first place. Have Superman go pick up Alice. However, before we move on, I just want to comment on Greengrass County. Obviously, Screen Rhino came at least from the radio show. But between that, Skunk Hollow County from Flight to the North, and now Greengrass County. I just want to know who comes up with these names and have him fired. These are unacceptable names for country counties. Just dumb names. After Clark leaves the office, we get this treated to this nice little bit. And as soon as Clark leaves, Lois wonders why they didn't follow him to contact Superman. Because he said he knew where Superman was, so they wanted to know where Superman was too. So they go out of Perry's office and they find an empty hallway. Jimmy <laughs> mentioned that he couldn't have gotten into the elevator that fast. And then Lois has this interesting thought to check the storeroom. But, however, right after they hear check the storeroom, you get a quick edit of Superman jumping out the window. And then, well, he's long gone. So, they are foiled. At least until next time, I guess. But, however, this will never be mentioned again in this episode, so I guess they really are foiled for now. Meanwhile, Sully is still at the tree by the Thomas farm, uh, waiting to get picked up by somebody, and he's sitting there sleeping. So Superman plans next to him, asking for permission. Sully clearly does not know who he's talking to. But when he does, he hilariously stands up and knocks himself out on a tree. Alice is still kind of hung up on Joey, and, you know, her grandfather is telling her to kind of, she's got to put Joey out of her mind, he's gone, he's not coming back. You know, all the stuff that a sad 10-year-old wants to hear in this situation. But it's stuff she, I guess she needs to hear. There's no reason to expect at this point in time that they're going to get Joey back. While Alice is moping, Superman shows up and he asks to take Alice to see Joey, who is quite happy to see her old horse friend. And, you know, we get some more of that great chemistry between uh, George Reeves and children. Whenever George Reeves has to act opposite children, it's kind of a treat because it always works. I haven't seen any that were bad yet. But, however, flying Alice to Metropolis is going to give us something we don't normally get in the color episodes. A new flying scene shot for this episode. Well, basically what we see on the right side of the screen, you'll see Superman's torso holding Alice. And the rest of the screen is occupied by the sky. So, there have been better shots of Superman flying people, but this one works for the purposes of this episode. Superman brings Alice in, and Joey is up and ready to race. Yay. Apparently horses are such divas. Now it's time for the race, and we're getting some stock footage of a horse race. And now we see Luke is hitting some dials on a device in his bag. Wasn't sure what he was doing at first, but this is definitely part of that special arrangement he was mentioning to Sully earlier in the episode. Rover Girl will win the race, and Joey will finish second, and they're all disappointed that Joey lost. But Clark sees something with his X-ray vision. He'll later mention, as Superman, that it's wires giving the horse electrical shocks. I looked at this shot several times. I didn't see what he saw. <laughs> I thought maybe there was some clue, but show didn't leave me one. Maybe it left one for you. So when Clark leaves the uh, box there they're sitting in, Lois calls him a poor loser. Wasn't she the one just complaining that Clark watched Rover Girl go into the winner's circle? I kind of think they're all poor losers here. This is where Superman shows up and reveals that there are wires in the saddle, giving shocks to the horse to make it run faster. And by default, Joey will win the race. And Luke and his other henchmen will run off and Superman will catch up to them into the stables, employing that judo chop that he likes to use. But before that, Superman tells the race officials that the jockey and the owner of the horse are in the clear. I wonder how he knows that. I mean, obviously there's nothing in the episode to indicate that they're guilty, but I wonder how Superman knows that they're not. Because if Luke Campbell is going to bring in as much money as he can on this race... 
why wouldn't the owner and jockey want to cut of that? But somehow Superman knows that they're in the clear. And I guess not really important. But I just kind of wondered how Superman knew that. So apparently the winnings are enough for Perry to get a return on the planet's investment and make a nice donation to the children's charity. So he gifts Joey back to Alice and Pete. And Alice is thrilled, because if you remember earlier in the episode when she got Joey to rise from the dead, basically, she promised Joey that they'd be together forever. Not, not a thing that she should probably really be promising the horse, but he doesn't really understand these things. But what happens the next time uh, Grandpa Pete has some bad crops and the farmer is behind on the mortgage again? Is he going to sell the horse to the planet again? I highly doubt it. So, hopefully there will be no more bad crops for uh, Mr. Pete Thomas. Overall, this is not one of my favorite episodes in the series. I didn't hate it, though. I guess that's good. But next time, we're going to have some better episodes, as we're going to enter a jelly bean contest and see if we can count up to the unlucky number. And then a mobster is going to rig the election in the big freeze. And Bob Fisher will be back with me for that episode. However, until that comes out, you can... Let me know what you thought about this episode and any others that I've done by emailing manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over in the Facebook group. Just put Man of Screen Podcast into your search feed and the show will come up. You can also review the show on iTunes and Stitcher. And that will help other people find the show on those respective platforms. And you can find the show on Twitter. Handle is at Man of Screencast. And if you're talking about this show on the social medias, please use the hashtag Man of Screen Podcast. So, till next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, that is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. A. Go right to the source and ask the horse, he'll give you the answer that you endorse. He's always on a steady course, talk to Mr. A. People yakety-yak the streak and waste your time a day, but Mr. Ed will never speak unless he has something to say. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and this one will talk to his voice, his horse. You never heard of a talking horse? Well, listen to this. I am Mr. A.